and welcome to Fresh Fusion, a show where we discuss the business, the art, the ethics of content creation on the open web. My name is Jared White, and this is episode 75, Twitter vs. Meta, a tale of two social networks. First, a little bit of follow-up. Last episode, I mentioned some of my woes in recording an episode. Uh, Yeah, that was crazy. Um, Some follow-up on that. Uh, It does appear that Ferrite and my Focusrite Scarlet interface and my iPad Pro combo uh, all seems to be okay again. I don't know what was going on with that before and why that kept crashing, Um, but I did a... uh, about a 40-minute recording the other day, um, and that was fine. And so I'm using it again today for this podcast and crossing my fingers that we won't have any issues. Uh, so that was quite a relief. Anyway, a um, couple intro topics here before we get into the main meat of the show. Uh, first of all, Squid Game. It seems to be everywhere. It's been a phenomenon Uh, And the strange thing is, uh, it's been a phenomenon with my kids, even though, (laughs) trust me on this, folks, they have not watched Squid Game because, yes, in case you haven't seen it, it is indeed extremely violent uh, and potentially very upsetting if you are not a uh, mature audience. So they have not seen the show, but... They started coming to me. I, I didn't mention a thing. I hadn't. I didn't tell them about Squid Game. I didn't mention Squid Game. But my kids came to me uh, not so long ago, and we're like, "Oh, you gotta try this out, Squid Game. It's on Roblox." And I'm like, "What?" And <laughs> yeah, there's like a whole bunch of Squid Game knockoffs uh, all over the place in these various gaming worlds, where you can, you know, go do the red light, green light stuff and other things that you see in the Squid Game show. But, uh, you know, in sort of a silly kids game version. Um, so they wanted me to play Squid Game with them. And then, then we started doing it in real life. Like we'd go out to the courtyard, uh, near my apartments and, um, they would, uh, you know, they wanted me to <laughs> to be the doll. Uh, again, if you haven't seen the show, uh, I, I'll try not to give away spoilers here. But um, for the, you know, red light, green light kind of game, they were like, you got to be the doll. And then they were trying to do it. And then they would freeze every time I'd turn around and say red light. And, <laughs> and we, were trying to, we were trying to figure out how to, we didn't have any... Uh, <laughs> Uh, okay, that's getting into spoilers. Well, anyway, you'll just have to trust me that they wanted to go through all these different games that were in the show, and, and it got very creative, so it was actually really fun for us just to like play these wacky uh, games together out in a courtyard. So, yeah, Squid Game, it's one of those things that's you know clearly entered pop culture, public consciousness, and has developed into something far beyond just um, yet another Netflix show. So that's been fascinating. Um, also fascinating to me, speaking of Netflix, is you, 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 you. Uh, <laughs> um, so I'll put a link to this in the show notes, but um, there was there was this wacky uh, bit that was on uh, Laura Ingram's show on Fox. Um, I, I never watched her show, but uh, I saw this clip and it was this wacky thing where Laura Ingram was was interviewing a guest. Uh, and I'm not sure what his name is, but he was saying something about uh, 
something about on the on the show you but the way he was saying it is he made it sound like he was talking to Lauren saying you did something or other and she's like I never did that I never talked about that on the show and he's like no no you said it and she's like I never said it <laughs> and everyone was trying to figure out if this was intentional or if they were like totally dense but it was this wacky bit uh, anyway, um, yes, the show You, that is on Netflix, uh, just uh, finished uh, season three. And um, I loved it, of course. I loved all the seasons of You. I think it's one of the best shows on Netflix right now. Um, just uh, terribly twisted, but with a strange kind of sense of humor. Um, I guess you could maybe call it a black comedy. Uh, anyway, it's it's very unique. Um uh, loved all three seasons. And it turns out that all three seasons are in the top 10 global TV shows right now, or, or at least top 10 English language shows. Um, yeah, I think that's that's how they're ranking it. Top 10 English language shows globally. You uh, season three is like number three on the list. And then seasons one and two are nine and 10 on the list. Yeah, so hats off to the creators of You for having such a popular show on Netflix. Um, and if you haven't seen that already, I definitely encourage you to check it out. All right, so let's talk about Facebook, uh, or I mean Meta. <laughs> I'm never going to get used to this. I'm never going to get used to calling them Meta. I'm always going to be like, Facebook, or that is Meta. <laughs> the 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 company formerly known as Facebook uh, versus Twitter. Uh, it's it's kind of shocking to me at this point how different the trajectory is that these two companies are taking. Uh, I think for a long time Facebook and Twitter kind of got lumped in as almost being like the same thing in a way. It was always Facebook and Twitter. You know, anytime anyone was talking about you know social media social networks, you know, web two, whatever you want to call it. Uh, of course, we have web three now, but that's that's a whole different topic. Um, you know, the web 2.0 phenomenon, the rise of social media, <laughs> social networks. It was always, you know, Facebook and Twitter. And then, you know, you get on the maybe downstream sort of mobile era experiences like Snapchat and, of course, Instagram joined Facebook. But kind of had its own identity and these other things. But it was, it was always Facebook and Twitter, Facebook and Twitter. And if Facebook was doing something, Twitter wanted to do something. And if Twitter was doing something, Facebook wanted to do something. And they kind of seem like they're, you know, occupying a lot of the same mental space in a way. Um, now that feels very different. It feels very different now. I think Twitter has really evolved into something else. And Facebook, likewise, has evolved into something else. And boy, do I hate <laughs> something else Facebook has evolved into. Um, but I'm, I'm largely going to be focusing more on Twitter in this episode. Um, so it's not so much Facebook or, I mean, Meta versus Twitter. It's more like, what is Twitter doing to kind of get out from Facebook's shadow, Meta's shadow, and, and really carve out its own territory and its own philosophy. Um, I think that's been really fascinating to watch over the last few years. A little bit of background on this. You know, it doesn't seem all that long ago that uh, Twitter, you know, 
kind of felt like Twitter was floundering in a way. You know, they burned the developer community by trying to lock down their APIs and really focus on their first party app at the expense of developers building third party solutions using Twitter. Uh, you know, users seemed confused about what Twitter was and where it was going because of the lack of proper leadership in that department. You know, the leadership of Twitter itself didn't really seem to know exactly what Twitter was. Um, uh, CEO at the time, Dick Costello, I think, you know, he, he may be a perfectly nice guy, but I think he was a really bad CEO for Twitter. <laughs> I mean, maybe he was good for a while from a financial standpoint. Uh, I think he helped oversee them going IPO uh, and all that sort of thing. But in terms of being like a product-focused CEO, you know, the the you know more on a on a Steve Jobs level of like really focusing on product. I I don't think he had any idea what to do with Twitter. Um, uh, there's a link in the show notes to an interview from a number of years back where he was kind of talking about you know, where is Twitter going, where is it headed, uh, and just the stuff he was saying about Twitter was just really dopey. <laughs> he, he was trying to make Twitter all all like friendly to newbies and push all the tech jargon out of the way, and you know, to a certain extent, you know, I can sympathize with that, but. He was kind of doing it in a way that almost sounded like he was apologizing, like, oh, gosh, I'm so sorry Twitter has had this tech-savvy audience uh, up to date, and it's hard for newbies to understand. So we're going to fix all that. that. That's always a huge red flag to me. Like, time and time again, we have seen successful services online, you know, start out with appealing to early adopters who are a little more tech savvy, a little more geeky, perhaps. And and they really help shape the community and what the product can become. And it's always a red flag to me when, you know, leadership comes in that's like, oh, you know, we need to we need to turn this ship around because it's just appealing to this core demographic of tech nerds and geeks. You know, we need to go mainstream. It's like, no. <laughs> That's not how you do it. You, you you expand outward from your core constituency. You don't throw your core constituency under the bus in order to appeal to a mainstream audience. Um, you know, there's a bit of a of a corollary there with Apple. You know, we we saw Apple uh, appealing to the Mac faithful and to you know focus on creating Macs that the Mac faithful, so called, would like. Um, and then, you know, and then they start to have this more mainstream success with iPods and iPhones and that sort of thing. And for a while, it seemed like they were maybe trying to dumb down Mac OS to appeal more to a mainstream audience that only knew the iPhone experience. Um, and that hasn't entirely been bad, but in many ways, it did turn out to be very problematic. And for a number of years, you know, listen to any... <laughs> any Apple tech podcast, uh, looking at you, ATP.FM. Um, and you, you hear a lot of grumbling about, you know, the, the, the wrong choices Apple's making on what they're doing with Mac OS, what they're maybe doing with Mac hardware, um, you know, not appealing to the pros, not appealing to their, you know, formerly core constituency of the Mac faithful. Um, and Apple's really been turning that around. Like they realized that was a mistake. They realized that they really screwed up with the messaging there and some of their decisions and, you know, ticking off people that had been 
faithfully buying Macs for many, many, many years. Um, so they're, you know, they're turning that ship around. And I see a similar thing happening now with Twitter. So, you know, kind of getting out from <laughs> getting out from the the mistakes of the Dick Costello era. Um, you know, we saw uh, Jack Dorsey come in and become CEO once again. Of course, Jack Dorsey is one of the original co-founders of Twitter. Um, and, you know, when he came in as CEO, I think there was some consternation that, you know, well, you know, how can Jack be CEO of Twitter? He's always uh, he's already CEO of Square. How can he run both of these companies? You know, it's going to take the focus off either one and it's going to be a problem. Um, I, th I think there was also a lot of angst, um, you know, kind of probably really coming to a peak in 2019, heading into 2020 with all the Trumpism stuff going on and Twitter kind of becoming synonymous with being the mouthpiece of Donald Trump. Uh, so I think, you know, I, I think I think there was a rocky road there for a while once Jack became CEO to to turn the ship around. But um, it really feels like we're past that. It feels like Twitter is 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 a different thing now than it was uh, when Jack first became CEO, um, and it's a lot better. And there's some specific reasons for that. So one of the things that annoyed me back when Dick Costello was CEO is you know besides just talking about like oh trying to make Twitter all newbie friendly and get rid of all the jargon. Uh, he, he was also describing what Twitter is and he was saying it was the companion experience to what's happening in your world. <laughs> the companion experience to what's happening in your world. And I'm like what? <laughs> what the hell is that? And I, re I remembered, uh, as I was watching this interview and he was saying that, I remembered that, yeah, Twitter was talking a lot about like, oh, you're going to be watching a football game and you're also going to have a phone out next to you and you're going to look at your phone and it's going to be talking about what's happening in the football game and you're going to be commenting and it was, or you're going to be watching a movie and then you're going to have Twitter open and you're talking about the movie. Like there's this idea that that Twitter was, was sort of this, uh, you know, commentary layer on things happening in the real world you know uh, and you know certainly we've all looked at live tweets of events and different things and you know there's certainly that going on but that's not at all what twitter means to me like when i think of twitter <laughs> thinking of it as like oh it's just some meta commentary on some real life event in real time like that's not at all what i want twitter to be focused on that's not at all why i use it on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and the cool thing is that um, when Jack came in as CEO, like he, he, he knew that Twitter was something else. Um, and instead of just sort of declaring from on high, well, I'm the CEO now and this is what I want Twitter to be, um, they actually used a strategy. And there's a link to this in the show notes about how they use this strategy. It's called the jobs to be done strategy. Now, I've used this framework before in my own work, so I'm familiar with this, and uh, it's, it's really pretty, it's, it's, it's a pretty good methodology for f figuring out how to develop product features and, and how to improve the usability of products, because, uh, you know, instead of sort of looking at products and services as like, you know, oh, you know, we need to do this and we need to do that because that's, you know, what this space is about, it, it's more like, looking at it through the lens of, you know, 
how is our product or service getting hired by the person who's using it? You know, what are they expecting it to do for them? What is it accomplishing for them? How does it fit into their lifestyle? Um, and so, you know, so Twitter did a bunch of research and started basically putting all of their feature development through the prism of, you know, why people, quote unquote, hire Twitter, what they hire Twitter to do for them. And a few years later, you can see how that strategy is really playing out. So um, a couple quotes here from recent uh, earnings call transcripts where CEO Jack Dorsey was discussing their product strategy. Um, this is from the Q2 2021 earnings call. He says, we intend to build an ecosystem of connected features and services focused on serving three core jobs. So there's that, there's that term there, part of the jobs to be done strategy. Three core jobs, news, which is what's happening, discussion, conversation, and helping people get paid. Every single person in the world has some need for at least the first two and preferably the third. So in other words, people hire Twitter because they want to see what's happening in the news. News. It's very news focused. And I think that's entirely true. I think Twitter has really become sort of the place where people want to interact with the news and not just not just like read the news, but like, you know, get, you know, an up to date take on something from, you know, their favorite journalist or their their favorite, uh, you know, blog site that is commenting on something, uh, you know, so very news focused. And I, I think that's entirely accurate. Uh, discussions and conversations, you know, Twitter has kind of replaced forums in a way. I, I know it, it, if you say that, it kind of sounds ridiculous because, you know, old school forums, you could post, you know, 10 paragraphs of commentary on something. And that's hard to do on Twitter unless you have this epic tweet storm. But um, nevertheless, like Twitter has become just sort of a public forum. Like if you want to be a person in public with a public, you know, persona and you want to discuss a topic with other public people with public personas and have this sort of, you know, public square conversation thing going on, uh, you know, Twitter is the place to be for that. Uh, so I think that's also really accurate what Jack's saying there. And now this third one is new. This third one is very new. Helping people get paid. To date, I don't think anyone's thought of Twitter as a place to go as a creator if you want to get paid for, you know, your art, for your journalism, for your advocacy, like whatever it is you're trying to do and, you know, get paid through... Uh, you know, sponsorships, subscriptions, whatever. I don't think anyone's expected Twitter to fill that role for them. But clearly, Twitter wants to do this. Clearly, Twitter is doubling down on the creator economy and really trying to, you know, make an impact there. So I'll fast forward to uh, a, a more recent earnings call, Q3 2021. Um, so this is Jack again talking, and he says, the last time we talked, you heard us talk about our intention to build an ecosystem of connected features and services focused on serving three core jobs, news, discussion, and helping people get paid. In Q3, we launched products across all of these categories, including ticketed spaces, tips, super follows, and narrow casting with communities. We also have the ability to pay your favorite creators using a variety of payment methods, 
including for the first time, Bitcoin. So clearly, <laughs> if you've been following you know, the, the news of what Twitter's been releasing and adding to their platform lately, and you're wondering like, man, there's like so much new stuff on Twitter, just like all these new features. It's like an avalanche all of a sudden. What is going on? Like, why are there so many new features on Twitter? It seemed like for years, Twitter was kind of sluggish. Like they were, you know, months, even years seemingly would go by and there would be nothing new of interest <laughs> on the platform in terms of features. It was still just like post a tweet like a tweet, <laughs> comment on a tweet, uh, that's Twitter, <laughs> retweet, hashtags, like we've had sort of this basic feature set and like that's what Twitter is for so long and all of a sudden there's like a ton of new stuff. So I think the question then is like, where is this all coming from? Why is there so much new stuff on this platform? And the reason is because they identified the jobs to be done for Twitter. Like they identified why people were hiring Twitter in you know in the parlance of this strategy why people were hiring twitter what they want out of twitter and maybe the the you know helping people get paid thing was more obscure cuz like i said to date i don't think people were thinking of twitter as a place to go to get paid as a creator but clearly they identified like this is a need in general like maybe people aren't looking to twitter to help them get paid as a creator but they're looking to something they're looking to you know anywhere and anybody and anything to help them get paid, right? Whether it's Patreon, whether it's, you know, Instagram launching a paid program, whether it's YouTube, like whatever platforms, whatever social networks, whatever, you know, these kind of services are where creators are, you know, looking to to get the word out on stuff like like they're trying to get paid for their work. Like the era of just like, oh, everything on the internet is free and everyone's doing everything for free. Like that's not sustainable, right? That's that's the mess we've been in where because everything is quote unquote free, the the products that are actually getting paid for are eyeballs. <laughs> and the people buying those eyeballs are the advertisers. So this this ad driven uh, landscape has turned out to be really bad and really corrosive. So Twitter rightly identifies here that, you know, we need to do something different. We need to get out from this idea that, you know, the only people making money are uh, the, the, the platforms that get paid by advertisers and the product that they're selling, <laughs> the product the platform is selling to these advertisers is users' attention. Like, that's bad, right? We need to do something different. So, so Twitter's turning things around to a certain degree here. No, it's not ad-free yet. You can't go on Twitter and not have any ads. But I think the writing is on the wall here. I think the writing is on the wall that you know Twitter envisions a future where you know whether or not you're seeing a bunch of ads on their platform, that's kind of a secondary thing in a way. And the primary thing is Twitter you know, fulfilling these roles, you know, you know, providing these jobs to be done for users, and the users expect Twitter to provide these products and services to them, and they're paying for these products and services. So I'm going to I'm going to break down some of this new stuff that's on Twitter right now, because I think it's all just super fascinating. Ticketed spaces, what's that? Well, I, I'm actually now just starting to experiment with spaces in general. Um, and I haven't tried to do any ticketed spaces yet, but uh, basically spaces is a way to set up 
kind of ad hoc, uh, just a space, <laughs> a space where uh, people can talk, you know, verbally, like actual verbal communications. So um, it's not, you know, it's not a podcast per se. It's it's more like it's more like a group discussion, maybe like a panel discussion between some experts, and then they can take questions from the audience. I think that's kind of a model that makes sense to a lot of people. Uh, that's what I did recently. I, I ran a space that was uh, related to the Bridgetown software project that I run. And um, so, you know, so I talked a bit about the status of the project and then I opened up it up for questions and had a dialogue with with people, like actual people talking in this Twitter space. And it was great. It was really great. And so I, I think it finally clicked for me. You know, I, I had joined a space now and then recently. Um, but um, I think the problem for me was uh, there weren't a whole lot of spaces people were starting that, you know, was about something I was super interested in. So it's just kind of like, oh, there's this thing called Twitter spaces, whatever. It's, you know, their answer to Clubhouse or whatever, which I never got into. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, Twitter spaces, Clubhouse, whatever. Like, it's a thing. Okay. But I get it now. Like, it's clicked for me. I'm super into Twitter spaces. Uh, I look forward to running more in the future, whether that's about Bridgetown or other topics. So uh, so yeah, that's cool. And then the idea of ticketed spaces is particularly interesting because, you know, actually charging people to join a space, like that really makes sense for a lot of different things. Um, you know, you, you, you could maybe even do a show, some kind of show, whether it's music or something else through spaces in the future. Like I could totally see that happening. Uh, I think there's a lot of potential there. Uh, so Twitter Spaces is a new thing. Um, their their newsletters integration with Review is really fascinating. I, of course, run a Review newsletter now, Creator Class. Please go to my website, jaredwhite.com, and sign up for Creator Class, which is powered by Review. Um, so Review is something they purchased. They, they acquired Review, the, the product and the company, um, a little while back. Um, it's still branded review, which is interesting, R-E-V-U-E. -E. Um, I don't know if they intend to change that at some point down the road, but for now, review is kind of this independent thing where you can create an email newsletter, but they've integrated it into Twitter now. So um, I'm not sure if it's yet rolled out to every Twitter um, you know, platform like iOS, web, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, depending on what you're using, if you go to my profile on Twitter, if you go to at Jared C. White, you'll see that I have the Creator Class newsletter and you can subscribe to it essentially right through the Twitter app. So that is super interesting to have email newsletters be sort of a first party feature of Twitter. Twitter also a while back acquired Scroll. And Scroll is now a key component of their new Twitter Blue offering. So Twitter Blue is basically a like Twitter Pro is what I'm calling it. <laughs> Twitter Blue is Twitter Pro. You, you actually pay, and I think it's like $2 a month in the US, something like that. You pay to use this expanded version of Twitter and you get a bunch of new features. And yeah, some of them are kind of gimmicky, like, oh, you can change the app icons and you can rearrange the, the icons in your toolbar to have different things there. So if you, know, if you don't want the spaces icon, but you want the bookmarks icon, you can stick that down in there. And there's some other things. Um, 
There's kind of an edit tweet feature, not really, but kind of in the form of an undo tweet feature. So it's sort of this timed thing where, you know, you write your tweet, you send it, but then there's like, you know, a few seconds delay where if you realize, oh no, there's a terrible mistake in there, a typo, whatever, like you can quote unquote undo it and fix it and then send it out again. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's not really what people want when they say they want to be able to edit their tweets, but, um, you know, it gets you part of the way there. Um, and there's some other things, but the, the sort of marquee feature of Twitter Blue is this idea that um, when you sign up Twitter Blue, you can read articles ad-free on a bunch of partner sites. Um, and I think that's whether you're using a web browser or you're accessing it through links in Twitter, at least that's how scroll used to work. Um, if not, at least if you go to things through the Twitter app. But anyway, the idea is you go to a site like, say, The Verge, and you get an ad-free experience because you're a Twitter Blue member. So that's super interesting. Um, I was a very happy user of Scroll. I loved Scroll. Uh, I thought it was great. Um, and then Twitter said they were buying Scroll. And it was one of those things where I was like, oh, yeah, that's actually a really good acquisition. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I think most tech acquisitions are terrible news. <laughs> I'm very skeptical anytime some big company announces they're buying a startup. I'm totally skeptical of that as a rule. But, um, but um, you know, with these acquisitions, uh, Twitter getting review, Twitter getting scroll, it really makes sense. And I, it seems beneficial for all involved, like it really does. And so, um, so I think that's, that's a major development here. And then finally, some of the other things going on at Twitter right now include launching V2 of their developer APIs, and they've totally turned this around. <laughs> they went from, let's burn our developer community and basically tell you all, you can't build your own Twitter experiences. We're just going to have our Twitter app and anyone using our API, you know, it's basically just going to be you know, maybe some academic researchers and some specialized business tools and some other things because we don't want anyone competing with our Twitter app. Now Twitter has pretty much come out and said, build whatever you want. We're going to open everything up. We're going to have all these great APIs. Go nuts. We're, we're excited to see developers and whatever they want to build on top of Twitter. This is awesome. We're all just big. We're all just one big, happy Twitter platform family. <laughs> Um, and that's just, it's again, like it's so different. The vibe is so different now with Twitter compared to where it was. Um, and it goes even beyond just these developer APIs. Uh, Twitter is sponsoring this, this entire project now, which I've covered on this podcast before called Blue Sky. And that is kind of an independent think tank, if you will, that Twitter's kind of you know, helping with some funding and resources and whatnot. But um, they're exploring how to build new open and decentralized protocols for just social networking in general. Like how, and also, and not just the communication side of it, but the identity side of it. Like how can you have an identity and communicate on social networks, you know, outside of a single commercial platform? Like what if you weren't just you know, at so-and-so on Twitter, but you were at so-and-so on the internet. And engaging with people through Twitter was one thing you could do, or you could engage with people 
on other platforms and people on other platforms can engage people on Twitter and people on Twitter can engage people on other platforms, et cetera, et cetera. Like that's been the dream for all the folks excited about open source platforms like Mastodon and people working on protocols like ActivityPub. Like there's been this, you know, fever dream of indie web, open web nerds for years now of, you know, what if we got away from just being totally locked into these proprietary platforms? You know, what if there were open protocols that platforms could, you know, interact with and integrate with? And Twitter is now saying, yeah, yeah, let's explore this. Let's look into this. Let's see, you know, what's out there already. What new things can we develop? How can we push this forward? And this isn't just, you know, some weird little thing on the side that Twitter's kind of like, yeah, yeah, there's this thing, but, you know, don't look too closely at it, investors <laughs> or whatever. No, no, CEO Jack Dorsey has come out and publicly endorsed the idea that Blue Sky and other initiatives at Twitter are all about, you know, working on open protocols, building open platforms, you know, integrating with other developer tools, integrating with other uh, ways of communicating. You know, he's even floated the idea that, you know, maybe algorithms like the actual algorithm of the Twitter feed could be something where there are, you know, multiple variants of the algorithm and you can choose from different ones and it's being developed more out in the open. And, you know, there's some things that are maybe a little bit silly, like when when Jack starts going super hardcore into like Bitcoin and decentralized money and all that kind of stuff, like I start to tune out a little bit on that because I think some of that's a little bit goofy. But we do have to realize he's also the CEO of Square. So, you know, <laughs> he's not just talking out of his hat. Like he, he definitely has a vision of, of, you know, the financial industry and what's going on there. So, you know, I, I wouldn't entirely write off what he says about cryptocurrency. But um, anyway, that, again, <laughs> Web3, quote unquote, and crypto and NFTs and all that. I'm going to have to do an episode on that at some point because I think some of that stuff is really loony. But um, suffice it to say, like, we're in an era now where Twitter is not just trying to talk the talk, but they're really starting to walk the walk. You know, they are they are launching all these new features. They're launching new developer tools. They're supporting Blue Sky. They're, um, you know, creating programs that people can pay for so that they're paying for Twitter. And it's not just this free thing that's, you know, solely at the beck and call of advertisers. Uh, they're trying to help creators get paid for the work they do. Like, this is a new Twitter. This is a new phenomenon. And it is in stark contrast, <laughs> stark contrast to what we see happening over at Meta. You know, what we see happening at Meta is just this ridiculous, <laughs> like nobody, nobody's buying it. Like everyone can see through this ridiculous smoke and mirrors, uh, you know, show that's getting put on of like, oh, we're not just Facebook anymore. We're Meta and we're going to build the Metaverse. And people all over the world will join us to build this new metaverse that will enable new ways of experiencing the world and new avenues for commerce and entertainment. And I'm just like, ah, no, if anyone, if anyone's actually going to build a successful metaverse, quote unquote, to, you know, 
be the next evolution of the internet. The last people, the last people we want to be doing this is Facebook. They're the bottom of the barrel in terms of trust here, you know, in terms of trust around privacy, around security, around mental health, around, you know, political engagement, like just run down all the issues, run, like if you created a list of everything that is quote unquote wrong with the internet, all the bad sides of the internet, all the downsides, if you made a list of all the problems with the internet today, do you know who checks off virtually every box? Facebook. <laughs> it's bananas. Like they have been on the wrong side of almost every single issue of what's wrong with the internet for years now, and nothing has changed. Whatever they're saying about meta, it's baloney. It's it's just baloney, and nobody believes them. Like, <laughs> like they did the whole announcement and the weird, creepy video of Mark Zuckerberg interact interacting with his digital avatar and all that stuff. They came out with that, and you go look at the articles, you know, particularly in the tech press, but also just mainstream stuff, and they're a laughing stock. Like everyone's looking at this and just being like, "Lol, Facebook is now Meta." Lol, that. Like, if you're a company and you're trying to announce a grand new initiative and get people excited about your upcoming products and services, like, from a, market, from a marketing standpoint, this is not what you want. You don't want to, like, think of Apple. What if Apple did, like, a new keynote where they're like, you know, and, and here's the thing we're doing and here's a new product, but there's one more thing. And they, like, show a sneak preview of an upcoming product. Like, the reaction people want to see whether you're working at Apple or whether you're part of the Apple fan community is when they do that one more thing, everyone's like, wow, Apple's like reinventing this area of our industry, whatever it is. Like they're gonna reinvent the phone. They're gonna reinvent tablets. They're gonna reinvent whatever. Like, you know, maybe in the future, they're gonna reinvent cars. Like whatever it is you like, you want everyone to be like just thrilled, even if it's kind of vaporware, even if it hasn't really come to fruition yet. Like you want everyone to get really excited and there to be a lot of buzz. That's not what Meta got. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's like, this is the future of the internet. Meta has just shown us a glimpse of what could be. No, everyone's just like, lol. <laughs> That's so dumb. <laughs> they're, they're never gonna they're never gonna do this thing that ever anyone actually wants. You know, whatever they build, they're gonna try to shove it down our throats and maybe it'll be somewhat successful, you know, just by virtue of the gargantuan size that Facebook is, but, you know, nobody's asking them for this. <laughs> so, so that's, that's kind of the conclusion I come to here, you know, Facebook, or I mean, Meta versus Twitter, like, Facebook is building stuff people don't want, and just ticking everyone off. And, you know, they're, they're only remaining large and profitable because of their momentum. You know, it's when you have billions of users all over the world, you know, it, it's almost impossible to somehow throw that all away in a short period of time. Um, so, you know, so Facebook's not going anywhere. Um, but they certainly haven't shown us any compelling vision of the future. And we all know that their company still sucks. Meanwhile, Twitter has just incrementally and more rapidly now come out with new feature after new feature after new feature 
And it's stuff that people actually want. It's stuff that people are actually going to get excited about. And it's actually going to be really helpful, you know, whether you're a creator, whether you really like reading news, but you're sick of all these annoying ads everywhere, especially on mobile, um, you know, whether you're a developer that wants to build new experiences for Twitter and for the Twitter user base, uh, you know, creating email newsletters, uh, getting paid through, you know, online payment methods, crypto, whatever, like all of these things that actual internet users and developers want and need and will appreciate, like Twitter is building this stuff and releasing it. And that is astounding to me because like I said earlier in the show, for a long time, it seemed like Twitter was just languishing, (laughs) being run by bozos who didn't even know what Twitter was. And the only reason Twitter was successful in any way was just because of all the people that, you know, were really passionate about you know, being on Twitter and the community that had formed around Twitter, you know, kind of the the equivalent of the Mac faithful back in the day, you know, you had the Twitter faithful. Um, So it's just amazing to me to see how much has changed now and how strong of an identity Twitter has now as a product focused company and as a user focused company and as a developer focused company. Like this is astounding to me. Uh, and it's it's just such a stark contrast to what we see Meta doing. So I no longer see it as Facebook and Twitter, social media. I, I don't see that at all anymore. I, I think Facebook is entirely its own thing. Meta is off in its own little meta universe <laughs> doing whatever the hell they're doing, which I think is ridiculous. And Twitter is doing its own thing, which is unique to Twitter, which is part of a unique Twitter identity part of a unique vibe, part of a unique global community. And that makes me very happy. Uh, As someone who dabbled in Mastodon a while back, before Twitter had really turned around, you know, I was I was kind of getting negative on what we called bird sight. I was, you know, I'd gotten pretty negative on bird sight. I was like, you know, they're just another one of these commercial platforms that's just trying to take advantage of us on the internet, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to go use Mastodon <laughs> and all that kind of stuff, right? But uh, but it's really turned around now. Um, and I'm not saying there isn't a place for, you know, alternatives to Twitter like Mastodon or whatever. Like, may a thousand flowers bloom here, right? Um, but I do think, like, you know, in terms of feeling reasonably good, reasonably ethical in the services and the communities I choose to engage with online. Like, I feel pretty good about Twitter now. And I can't say that for very many other, you know, large internet companies. Like, I don't feel good about Google. Obviously, I don't feel good about Facebook. I am ambivalent towards Microsoft. I think, you know, a lot of what Microsoft does for developers is good. Still not sold on them as a consumer company. Um, but anyway, you know, that. so the, in other words, like there's a bunch of large companies. Oh, and then again with Amazon, it's actually the opposite. Like <laughs> I don't mind using Amazon as a consumer that needs to buy some stuff off their store now and then. But uh, I definitely do not want to use any of their developer products. I, I don't use AWS. In f- fact, I try to avoid it. Um, but that's a 
that's a topic for another day. Anyway, my point is, like, if you think of all these large internet companies, you know, and the ones that I don't feel good about are the ones I feel pretty good about. I feel reasonably okay about Apple. I don't like how they treat developers on the App Store, but aside from that, I feel pretty good about Apple. I feel pretty darn good about Twitter. Uh, I feel okay about Microsoft. <laughs> um, and that might be the extent of it, actually. <laughs> anyway, um, I hope you enjoyed my long-winded ramble here about Twitter, about Meta, what's going on with these two social networks and why they're so different now. If you have thoughts on this topic, please get in touch with me. Uh, you can find me, as always, on jaredwhite.com. Again, please subscribe to my email newsletter, Powered by Review, uh, which you can find the, the subscription form there on jaredwhite.com, as well as links to my Twitter profile and other places. And until the next episode, stay safe, stay well, and enjoy your day.